0: Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday, a fee. On Sunday, a king. Late down. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. It's always fun when the book of Revelation comes through on our assigned readings for a Sunday, isn't it? Uh And I hope to break it down for you and make it a little more palatable this morning because uh, I think it has something very important to say, uh, not just to us as people, but us who have our hosts today from Light of Life joining us to talk about their ministry. Um, Our reading from Revelation 5 today centers on one primary question, and that question is, who is worthy? Who is worthy? Worthy. Now, in our own time, we tend not to really think about worthiness on a day-to-day level. It's not a word that really comes forward for us, is it? Uh, Worthiness, as in, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze here in a second. It's coming, but it's playing with me. And uh, I'm going to keep preaching, but if I have to stop immediately, you know what's going on. Uh, This uh, concept of worthiness is not one we think about on a day-to-day life here. Uh, We think maybe of knights of the medieval age trying to prove themselves worthy by uh, completing the task to marry the princess Maybe you think of the great fairy tale, of The Sword and the Stone, that Arthurian legend, where there's a a sword in the stone and the stone is in the churchyard, and only the person who's worthy to be king of England can come and pull the sword out of the stone. But if you're like me, someone who's uh, approaching middle age, it conjures up this unforgettable moment from the 1992 film Wayne's World, that bastion of theological insight. Uh, where basement-dwelling, rock-and-roll, public-access TV show hosts Wayne and Garth, uh, they're invited to party with rocker Alice Cooper. And what do they do? If you remember the film, you know. Overwhelmed with joy at the invitation, these two um, sort of ripped jeans, buff shirt, backward hats... Uh, rock lovers drop to their knees and proclaim, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. That may be the last time that the word worthy has been used in that way in pop culture imagination. That was um, 30 years ago now, Lord help us. But uh, what what we see, right, is that this concept of worthiness, it, it's not something we tend to think about in the year 2022. It's not something that is on our, our hearts and minds at least in terms of that language. I think the idea of worthiness is actually very much on our hearts and minds, we just don't like to think of it in that language. Uh, When we go to the ballot box on election day, what are we thinking? Which candidate is most worthy of my vote? We may not use that language, but practically speaking, we're thinking of the same thing. Or when a new position opens up at work, maybe you think to yourself, you know, I've been doing really well at my job, I could do really well at this job, and you know what, I would be a really worthy replacement of the person who has just left. Or maybe you have a friend, a colleague, and you're thinking, that person's really worthy of moving up to that position. So what do you do? You throw your hat in the ring, or you encourage your friend to throw your hat in the ring. Or maybe we've experienced some grand act of love in our life. I think maybe your spouse, maybe things are a little rocky in your relationship, but then your spouse comes forward and gives you this grand romantic gesture, and you're thinking, whoa, I I don't know that I I really deserved this. Or maybe you had a friend or a neighbor who did some task for you, uh, and you're thinking to yourself, "I, I don't know that I deserved this task. I'm not really worthy of the gift that was given to me. So let's not sleep on this concept of worthiness right now. It may seem archaic, but again, I think it has a lot to do with our everyday life. So beyond our workplaces and beyond Wayne's world and beyond King Arthur, in Revelation 5 today, this concept of worthiness is um, it's right there for us to consider. Because who is worthy is the primary question of our reading a little bit more about the book of Revelation for you, so you're not lost in one of the Bible's most dense and complex books. Um, the book of Revelation starts as sort of a normal letter would uh, from a man named John, probably the same John who wrote the other books of John in the Bible. And uh, he was writing it to churches in the region of Turkey. We, At the time they called it Asia Minor, we call it Turkey. And so places like Ephesus and even a city called Philadelphia, not ours, but that's one over in Turkey. Cities who um, were about to experience a wave of Christian persecution. And John is trying to warn them to be ready. They're not ready. And so John is trying to get them ready because he sees this wave of persecution coming. In fact, this John is experiencing it himself. John has been exiled, a common punishment in Roman society. He's been exiled to an island in the middle of the Greek off the coast of Greece called Patmos, a prisoned island. And so the best he can do is write them a letter and say, "Guys, look out. Here is what is coming." And so as part of his writing, right, there's maybe three chapters of Revelation that are go to that end, but Revelation chapter 4 and 5 a big shift happens. Because what happens is as he's writing this letter and thinking about this letter, um, God uh, gives and grants John a vision, a vision of the throne room of heaven. And the rest of the letter will be John trying to articulate something that is fundamentally indescribable to his readers. Um, that there's so many things going on in this vision. He sees things that he doesn't understand and he's trying his best to communicate them. He sees God seated on a throne. He sees beasts that look like angels and men and oxen and eagles flying around for uh, great creatures. He sees angels, thousands and thousands and myriads of angels flying around the great throne room of heaven. He sees elders, people who have already gone to heaven, who are there as sort of senior representatives, as it were, of the people of earth. And so he sees all of this going down, and he's thinking to himself, Wow! Um, I don't know how to describe it. And so he uses what we call apocalyptic language to describe it. Imagery filled with symbolism and Old Testament references. um, Awe, And and he's trying to again describe to us something that is really not all that describable. Um, And so what does he see in this great throne room of heaven? He sees God on the throne reach out with a scroll that has seven seals on it. Now, John, you see, John, uh, the John of our reading, Um, John knows what's in that scroll. Um, John has been reading his Old Testament. He knows what the prophets had said about that scroll. And this scroll bears such an important weight uh, to the history of the world that John is moved to tears. The text says he wept and he wept. He wept profusely because he saw this scroll... And no one in heaven was able to open it. Not any of the fantastical creatures, not any of the angels, not any of the elders. No one had the authority to open this scroll. So what is in the scroll? What is John so moved about? Why is this scroll such a big deal? Well, it turns out, um, if you go back and read through Old Testament books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, you'll see that in that scroll, um, in these Old Testament readings, God says, Take all of my judgments on the wickedness of the world and take my promise of salvation for the world. I want you to take it, write it down and seal it up in a scroll because it's coming, but it's not coming yet. So before it comes, we're going to take it like a written promise. We're going to seal it up in a scroll and we're going to save it for a later day because one day the scroll is going to come. One day we're going to open this scroll and that day will be the day of the Lord. That day will be the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. That day when we pop this scroll open, I will do everything to set the world right. That's the vision that God gives prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. That all of the delayed judgments for wickedness, they're in this scroll. All of the promised blessedness of a kingdom where there's peace and prosperity and God rules and reigns, they're in This scroll. So this scroll is very important. Imagine John, right, sitting there, and he sees that scroll, and he knows in that scroll, every unanswered prayer that he has ever prayed, it's in that scroll. Every heartbreak he's ever experienced, the consolation for it all, it's in that scroll. The new heavens and the new earth, the end to his exile on the island of Patmos, um, every single um, sort of blessed thing that God has promised in the end of time, it's in that scroll. And so God produces the scroll that has everything in it for the end of time, for the blessedness of his people. And there's no one there to open it. There's no one there to open it. No one's worthy enough. Um, the angels can't. The elders can't. And John, he says, it's right there. It's right there out of reach, the scroll that has every blessed conclusion to human existence. It's this close and I can't get in. No one's there to open it. And you, you'd cry too if you were in his situation, I think. Um, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through, but to see the, the great consolation of heaven and to realize it's not coming. I can't get to it. No one can get to it. It's heartbreaking stuff. But, so at the end of our reading, is it? One of the elders comes up to John and says, We can't open it, but there's someone who can. There is someone who is worthy to open it. And sure enough, of all the great crazy creatures that have been seen in this vision, John sees a lamb with lots of eyes and horns <laughs> who has uh, acting as if it has been slaughtered but come back to life. Uh, a lamb with um, that would have had uh, very gruesome-looking uh, knife marks on its neck, comes forward and takes the scroll from the hand of God. Right? Here's what the passage says. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated On the throne. Now, it's very remarkable, right? We know, because we are people of the Bible, we know that there is a lamb who was slain who came back from the dead. We know that even though the name Jesus Christ is not explicitly mentioned in this text, we know that there are a lot of other names for Jesus that are the lion of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain. It's Jesus Christ, friends, who comes forward to take the scroll from God, the Father in heaven. And when he does this, when he takes that scroll, all of heaven goes nuts. (laughs) Did you catch that in the reading? People are breaking out into new songs they've never sung before. People are raising up incense in prayer. People are shouting, they're clapping. They're, they're, They're so excited. And what do they say? They say things like, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is blessed. Honor and glory to Jesus because he is one who is worthy who can open that scroll. Because of his death and resurrection, he has proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is worthy to pop those seven seals off of the scroll. And he is uh, beyond worthy to execute the judgment um, and the reconciliation and the, the compensation that is contained within that scroll. Jesus Christ, friends, is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. Now, if this is true, of course, if Jesus is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll, um, there's kind of a bit of a leveler built into this passage, a leveler, a humbling uh, reality for you and I, which is that if Jesus is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll, we should pay attention to this passage because it says, um, you and I aren't. (laughs) Right? Right? You and I aren't worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. Um, Because Jesus, of course, rose from the dead vindication after living a perfect life. He is the one whom death should not have touched. And yet in doing so, he has destroyed death. Jesus is the one with the virtue and the power and the capacity and the trust to open the scroll. And, uh, well, we ain't got that, uh, to say the least. Um, and, and part of what this does is, I think, there's this great leveling force that in the great cosmic line drawn in the sand, um, there's Jesus on one side and everybody else on the other. That's really where the only line that can be drawn in the universe is. That if you're going to draw a line and begin to divide people, there's Jesus on one side and everybody else on the other. Um, this is a, a humbling passage. Because when we talk about things about being worthy for politics or professional advancement or worthy of gifts from our our loved ones, we're talking about Jesus being worthy on a whole other level and us being unworthy on a whole other level. And this has something to say about all facets of life, but I do want to focus in on one particular thing, which is this has something to say about how we treat people who are different than us and who are having a harder time with life. I think this text has something very important to say about how we treat those who are um, struggling with life in ways that we aren't. I'll give you an example of my own personal struggles with this. Last week, um, as all good pastors do, we were at the Chick-fil-A in Greensburg. <laughs> and uh, uh, their chicken's good. Don't judge me, okay? I'm not a stereotype, I promise. Uh, we, were, we were running errands up in the, the area. We grabbed Chick-fil-A for, for lunch. And um, I saw something I hadn't seen before. We see occasionally, of course, panhandlers, but this was a a unique one. I hadn't seen this before. It was three kids. They look like kids. And they pulled up in a car. One of them maybe looks 16. They got out of the car and they had a piece of of white poster board. And the white poster board said um, Our mom is sick and then the hospital and we can't afford food. Can you help us? And our response to that, of course, uh, as we discussed in the car and, you know, Beth was there, but just pretend it's me. Beth wasn't there. She wasn't privy to this discussion, but pretend it's all in my head. Um, As we're in the car, my mind immediately begins to ask the question, is this person worthy of my help? Are these kids, these teens, are they worthy of my help? And I automatically start to think things like, um, do they look like they're on drugs? (laughs) You know? Um, where are, where is CYS in the middle of this? Like, where are Child and Youth Protective Services? Are they, are they wearing Nikes? Like, are they really expecting for help when they're wearing, like, Nike sweatpants? They certainly don't look hungry. Um, but maybe they're just too young to work. I, I don't understand why they're out there panhandling. Maybe they're just outside the Chick-fil-A asking for money because they know Chick-fil-A is the religious place to eat and religious people give money away. And they're trying to get money that way. All of these questions going through my head and the head of those watching because we're trying to judge, is this person worthy of my help? I want to help, but we have to make sure they're worthy for it. And uh, as we're thinking about this in the car and, and, and judging the people and trying to figure out if they're worthy of my help, I only share that with you because we've all been there. Um, and it takes different forms and it takes different um, different manifest, you know manifests itself differently. Maybe you have a cousin who occasionally calls to ask you for money. And um, you're trying to figure out if they really need help or if they've just been up at the live casino again and they're in trouble again and they're asking you for money because they they lost big at the casino this week. And you're trying to figure out if it it would be helpful to help them in their situation, if they're really bottoming out or if you're just going to feed a gambling addiction that's crippling them. Uh, maybe you have this cousin or a, a niece or nephew who called to ask you. They said, hey, um, I'm, I'm really in trouble and I need a place to stay for a couple of weeks so I get back on my feet. Can I come stay in your guest bedroom? Can I come stay on your couch? And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I would love to, but I don't know if they're on their psychiatric meds. And uh, if I come and I let them in my house, are they gonna, they're going to—they're going to they going to have they going to end up being a danger to me and my family because I know what they're capable of, and I want to be helpful. But you know, what's what's the thing? We're we're, we're figuring out if it's if, if they're worthy and safe to come stay in our home. Or maybe you noticed a colleague at work who insists that everything's okay, but the bruises on her arm look like someone has reached out to grab her violently, and it looks like a hand mark on the arm there, the way the bruises are. And you know there are kids in that home, and you're wondering, is it worth my time to pull someone aside and actually have a conversation? And so we think of worthiness, you know, Wayne's World style, right? You know, we're not worthy. But but really, this, this question of judging and are other people worthy of our help It's something we all go through on a regular basis. And what we discover in um, Revelation 5 is that the question of worthiness is just now off the table. It's off the table. Because the great line drawn through the cosmos is Jesus on one side and all of us on the other. None of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. Because Jesus can open the scroll. We can't. He can fix and save and judge the world. We don't get to make the call about who to love and who not to love. We don't get to make the call about who is or isn't worthy anymore. Um, I don't see any of us here with four beasts, one of them looking like a flying ox, and a bunch of elders singing our praises, telling us we're worthy to open the scroll. Um, If that is you, um, talk to me after the service. I'll say prayers for you. Um, But... But, but the point of this reading is to offer us a course correction, and it's why we invited Light of Life to come and be with us today. Um, because once you take the question of earning and deserving and worthiness off the table, the question is not, um, should I help them? Are they worthy of my help? The question is, is how can I best help? Um, that's the question. How can I best help? And the reality is, is most of us in this room, we are not equipped to help somebody overcome their gambling addiction. We are not equipped to work the modern medical healthcare system to make sure our cousin has the right psychiatric medication and dosage. And frankly, um, uh, most of us in this room, if we were to pull our colleague aside and have a question about, um, hey, are you okay? I see those bruises. I'm concerned about you. Um, I'm not sure all of us would know exactly who and where we could send them for help. And so I think this text about worthiness brings a change in our spirits because help looks a lot differently when instead of judging people to say if they're worthy of a fiver or they're panhandling, we say, how can I know they can get the help that they need? So again, that's part of why we brought Light of Life to be with us today because when we've transitioned our framework of the universe to are they worthy, uh, from are they worthy to love thy neighbor, and when we've shifted from earning Uh, the the help that they need to grace to help them when they can't help themselves, we're going to quickly realize that we have limits ourselves. And so what does it look like to not just partner and help with other organizations who can help people we can't, uh, but to be the kind of person to say, I want these institutions to thrive and survive so that I can be best prepared to love the people who are around me. Um, The question becomes not if we love our neighbors, but how? And so in the eyes of God, friends, there is no distinction between you and me and King Arthur and Alice Cooper. There is only one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus. Uh, and so when we put ourselves in the great cosmos, we have so much in common with those around us who are homeless, who are struggling with addiction, who are mentally ill, who live under the threat of violence. This side of the Jordan, friends, Our lives are more like theirs than perhaps we would care to admit. But when you realize that the heartbeat of heaven is mercy, when you realize that the one who loves like Jesus is Jesus and he gets the stamp of approval for worthiness, um, we don't have a choice in who we get to love and how we love them. Our goal is to help them and love them as best as we can and let Jesus um, open the scroll uh, for the great consolation. And simply seek to be tools to his use. And so after we affirm our faith, friends, in a moment in the words of the Nicene Creed, I'm going to invite our friend uh, Colleen from Light of Life to come forward. She's going to tell us a little bit about Light of Life. Uh, What we're going to do is I'm going to ask a handful of people to say prayers, but we're going to open up the church to pray for Light of Life and the things that they need prayer for. Then after our uh, service today, we're going to head down to the fellowship hall. We're going to uh, be there. Uh, we have a bunch of extra snacks for coffee hour today, uh, and we're going to get together and spend a little bit of time hearing more about Light of Life. And I consider you friends, of course, uh, it would be, uh, I would invite you friends uh, to uh, say prayers for Light of Life, uh, to see if you can be helpful, and even to uh, do a review of your finances and see if there's a way we can help them give. And of course, tomorrow, we've been talking about this for months, we're going to have the Rescue Dogs food truck. It's going to be a beautiful day. They're going to be uh, in town on the Diamond of Ligonier. Uh, I invite you to come out, grab lunch then, bring some friends so we can continue to help support a ministry who is more skilled at loving our neighbors in particular crisis than we are. And in doing so, friends, we're not showing that we are indeed worthy. We are simply showing our gratitude to the one who is, the Lamb of God who is slain and risen from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Pennsylvania.